0: The scripture reading is taken from Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 4, 8 to 11. You can find it on your Bible, page 749 to 750. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient times, ancient ruins, and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations, and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation, and arrayed me in the robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprouts come up and the garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Our New Testament reading is from uh, John's Gospel, and and I will be reading from chapter 1, beginning with verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him then, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, Who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for our God. Now, the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, the the sentence from the story that I just read for you that has been with me all week long and that I can't stop thinking about is the statement by John the Baptist, among you stands one you do not know. As often happens, and I assume this happens to you as well, I had never really noticed those words before. Of course, they've been there all along, but for some reason I just had never paid much attention. Uh, As you heard, John the Baptist is speaking to uh, a group of, what should we call them, uh, investigators uh, who have been sent from Jerusalem to the Jordan River to make a report. So they are there with their notebooks open and their pens in hand. And they are observing everything very carefully, making careful observations about what they see and hear. Uh, Everyone else is there for a revival. Uh, Everyone else has come to hear uh, the best speaker of their generation and then who who knows they might allow themselves to be baptized and most of them, it seems, uh, have chosen to be baptized. So the other people are there for, I mean, what just might be the most exciting event in their lives. Uh, But the investigators have come with a different purpose. Uh, They are there to get to the bottom of things. They want to find out the truth, they uh, listen to John the Baptist's words with uh, objectivity and uh, academic distance, you know, they're, they're not going to be moved. Uh, emotion is not what they bring. They are there to analyze. Uh, who are you, they asked John the Baptist, if, if you are not the Messiah uh, or Elijah or the prophet, whoever that is. All right then then who are you exactly? This is quite a dramatic scene. And as John, not John the Baptist, but uh, John the Evangelist, John the Gospel writer, is putting his Gospel together, he decides that this scene, think about this, this scene belongs at the very beginning of his Gospel. Matthew and Mark begin with birth stories. Uh, as you all know, Jesus is born to Mary and Joseph, he comes into the world as a baby, and, and, and we all know how that goes. And Mark, I, I, I don't know, he seems to be in such a hurry to tell the story that he doesn't bother with much of an introduction at all. He starts at a sprint and, and never lets up. Uh, but John, and, and I, I'm trying to get inside the mind of a, a writer here, uh, as he, he looks at all of the material that's spread out in front of him, John decides that the place to start... Is with this scene at the Jordan River. Among you stands one you do not know. All right, th- those are the words I, I, I couldn't stop thinking about uh, this week. It, it's quite a clever way to begin, don't you think? Uh, the whole gospel then becomes an explanation. All right, let, let me tell you, he, he seems to say, who this one is. Now, uh, uh, you know, as a preacher, I've Uh, great empathy for uh, John, John the Baptist, and John the Gospel writer, I guess. Uh, Many people come to church uh, hoping that something will happen. Uh, They hope to hear a word that will startle them or a word that will bring them into the very presence of God. Uh, Like the people who came to hear John the Baptist, they're open and and receptive and they they really want a good message. Uh, But then there are always those who come I don't know, how would you describe them? With their arms folded. Uh, you're going to separate your arms now, but it, it, they come uh, they, they come with their arms folded and, and their, their scientific minds are engaged and uh, they're somehow detached from it all because they're analyzing and they're uh, evaluating. And uh, by the way, this has been true throughout my ministry. This is not a description of, of IPC. And I have to say, I don't think I was quite prepared for this when I started my ministry. When I started all those years ago, I assumed that everyone <laughs> that everyone was like me. I mean, I was no skeptic, at least not by the time I was ordained. I was a true believer. And I had thrown away my whole life, every other option, all of those other career choices, not that there were that many, but... All gone to do this one thing. I mean, I was all in as a young pastor. And then I was too nervous to notice this on my first Sunday, and I was probably too nervous to notice it my first year, Uh, but slowly I became aware of the investigators. I mean, those who had been sent from Jerusalem to make a, a, a report. Uh, those uh, who were taking a good hard look at what was going on, uh, those who would sit there on Sunday mornings as though they would have to you know, tell somebody about what they had seen. And so I began to think about them when I prepared my sermons. And, and over the years, I, I started to think like John, uh, John the Gospel writer. Uh, I, I, I thought I, I need to begin with a statement, Among you stands one wh- whom you do not know. And then, this is what I've tried to do uh, over the years. I I, I thought I need to explain why someone might want to know him, why he is worth getting to know, and and why he changes everything. Before I go any further here, I need to point out how odd uh, this situation is in our story for today. I mean, Jesus has no star power, he has no celebrity. I wonder if you noticed that. Uh, over the years, I've I've heard so many uh, uh, stories about people, they're usually movie stars or, or, or politicians, and, and when they walk into a room, suddenly all eyes are on them. And and so people watch them, and they can't take their eyes away and say, oh, he's getting out of a car. Oh, there she's walking. You know, how fascinating. And, and I have to say, I haven't met uh, all that many celebrities uh, over the years, but uh, one time I did meet a famous... A TV actor. I'm, I'm too embarrassed to tell you who it was, but I, be, I, I became all tongue-tied and I said something stupid. And, and uh, interestingly, that is not how Jesus is introduced to us. Right? Among you stands one you do not know. Uh, uh, of course, uh, when Jesus taught, and I'm thinking of later in the, the gospel story, people paid attention as the gospels Uh, put it, Jesus taught as one having authority. So clearly there was something extraordinary about him and people came from long distances to hear uh, what he had to say and they remembered then what he he said for years afterward. But Jesus, and I, I think John wants us to see this, Jesus did not come into the world as a celebrity. As Isaiah predicted many years before, he had no form nor comeliness. That we should desire him. This is in, this is in uh, Isaiah 53. Uh, there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. This is how one uh, one translation puts it: nothing to attract us to him. What everyone noticed about him w- was not how good looking he was, or how well dressed, or how well proportioned. I mean, what, what they noticed w- was that he was like us. You know, we live at a time when uh, th- there are all sorts of reminders of social distinction and, and, and social class. When you fly, especially, uh, you can't help but notice first the platinum deluxe encrusted cardholders uh, go on board, and then the first in business class go on board, and if you travel in the U.S., then it's the military personnel. And, and, and then finally the rest of us, the awful dregs of humanity, are, are, are allowed to, to get on board. And, and, and what's interesting to me, and, and I have imagined this scene by the Jordan many times over the years, that there is no VIP express lane for baptism. Right? Jesus stood in line with everyone else. He, he, he didn't ask for elite status. Right? He stood and, 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 and waited his turn. I've always liked that about the church too, by the way. Jesus, after all, set the tone for this. I, I, I can't think of any other organization uh, that works quite this way. There, there are no special classes of membership here. You know, if, if you had a platinum membership, you could, I don't know, be first in line at coffee hour. Or, uh, what? There's something wonderful. Isn't there? There's something wonderful about that, that atmosphere that pervades our uh, church life. No one counts more or is worth more than anyone else. Uh, and it was Jesus uh, who, from the beginning of his ministry, as I said, who sets this tone. We, we are born in the image and likeness of God. We are all brothers and sisters of, of Christ. And, and you may have all kinds of credentials and degrees and uh, uh, achievements and, and, and so on, and good for you. But when you come to this place, the only honor that matters is your baptism. Right? The the, the same honor, if, I mean, if you could call it that, the same honor that Jesus had uh, when he started his ministry. You know, he was baptized, we're told, by John in the Jordan. Uh, last fall, as some of you will remember, we took a, a long, long look at Nehemiah, and uh, several times I referred to him as a type of Christ. He shows us what to anticipate when Christ comes along in our lives. And, and, and in the story of uh, Nehemiah, we find that it reaches its climax when the wall around Jerusalem is finished and all the critics are silenced, and, and then it's time for Nehemiah to take a bow. And, and, and to receive all of the acclaim that, that he deserves. But, but instead of taking a bow, instead of soaking in all of the appreciation, remember what happens? He takes a step back. And at that point, he all but disappears from the story. It's Ezra the priest who walks out to the front and, and, and begins to read the law, and Nehemiah is nowhere to be found. Ego seems to have no place in his leadership. What what, what he came to do was not to promote himself, but to build a wall and then, of course, a people of God. Uh, And that, of course, was Jesus too. He he drew no attention to himself. I mean, he he would say later that he came to bring life. What was his task? It was to bring life and, and, and abundant life for everyone, for you and 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 for me. And to all of the investigators who have uh, listened to me over the years, I've tried to say if you want to follow someone with your life, make sure to follow someone who has no ego to be admired, who who has no need to be worshiped. right? You know, not an ego that, that requires stroking. Here's something else that I, I, I think we should see on this, this third Sunday of, of Advent. Earlier this morning, uh, we heard the words from uh, Isaiah chapter 61. And, and of course, uh, uh, you know, th- 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 these are words that Jesus read one uh, s- Sabbath when he was invited to speak at his hometown synagogue. And uh, on my most recent visit to Israel, this was almost uh, two years We stopped in Nazareth at this synagogue or what was uh, left of it and I took out my Bible and and, uh, began to read for the the members of the tour group. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor and he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and and to let the oppressed go free and, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And I don't know if you remember that story or not, but when Jesus finished reading and when he handed the scroll back to the attendant, uh, we're told that uh, all eyes were fixed on him. And I don't know if you've ever imagined that situation uh, in any detail, but I've, I've tried to, and I've, I've, I've tried to understand what Jesus was doing there uh, you know you go home as an adult people remember you as an as a child but you go home as an adult and really they just want you to do a good job right so that they can be proud of you and and when Jesus is reading the scroll we hear that they're whispering to each other this is Jesus son of Joseph the carpenter and so on and they were so glad to see him and in front of your parents and their friends the degree of difficulty is not really that high I mean, just say thank you to your Sunday school teachers. That's really all you have to do, or tell a funny story about something that happened in, in worship. where you, you dropped your offering on the floor and it made a lot of noise. And I mean, whatever you do, don't make people mad. But that's exactly what Jesus did, didn't he? All right, he had a, a total lack of concern for how people would respond to him, and he spoke the truth. Not uh, occasionally, but all the time. He said, I, 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 I know you came here today to see how I turned out. But you need to know what God is up to in the world. And, and God is working on behalf of the poor. And God is concerned about uh, the prisoners. And and God is determined to bring sight to the blind. And, and to let the oppressed of the world go free. I mean, what a mistake. He made them so angry and they... Tried to kill him. Jesus, this person you do not know, cares nothing about being liked. He cares only about the truth, and he cares only about the mission of God and the world, and he cares only about the poor and the prisoner and the the blind and the oppressed. Uh, If you are here today investigating, if if you're taking uh, notes, write that down. Jesus doesn't care what you think about him. Jesus did not come into the world to make you smile or or to feel good about yourself. He came because there was work to do. Write that in your notebook. Uh, Four and a half years ago, when I was uh, interviewing uh, with council members and members of of the uh, search committee for this church, uh, we were sitting in the home of uh, one of our members and this was quite a large group of people in one uh, small living room. And one of our elders, I obviously haven't forgotten much about this uh, particular evening, but one of our elders uh, said to me, Doug, uh, would you tell us about a time when you led someone to Christ? And I don't remember anymore exactly uh, what I said, but I, I do remember that my answer was not very good. <laughs> in fact, I think it was pathetic. The, the, the way the question was phrased uh, is, is not how is not the faith language that I learned, as, as strange as that may sound. All right? it, it's not how we learn to talk about uh, our faith. Where, where I grew up, we, we just didn't talk about leading people to Christ, although <clears throat> I've just now preached an entire sermon about introducing people to the one among you right? whom, whom you do not know. Anyway, partly because my answer to that question was so pathetic, I spent a lot of time Uh, since then, thinking about how I should have answered it. And uh, I know that there are no do-overs in life, sadly. Uh, But if I had a do-over on that question, this is uh, what I would say. Uh, The last church I served had an active uh, prison ministry. So every week, a large group of uh, men and women would go to a nearby prison, and they would lead worship and lead Bible studies, first on the men's side and then uh, on the women's side. And I did not go every week, but I went uh, occasionally And over time, that prison ministry expanded uh, to include uh, family members on the outside. Typically, the incarcerated men and women we were with would be very concerned about family members on the outside. And so the church became very involved in the lives of those families, uh, especially at this time of year. It was through this ministry that I came to know a young woman named Shea Green an African-American teenager who started coming to our church's youth group. Uh, although, I have to say, uh, no other members of youth group had uh, a father in prison. Uh, no other members of the youth group faced any of the obstacles in life uh, that Shay Green faced. I mean, not getting pregnant uh, by age 18 was for her a substantial accomplishment in life and set her apart from all of her peers, uh, one summer on the youth mission trip, we, we would go somewhere every summer uh, for a week of work, and I found myself painting the wall of a house with uh, Shea Green. So we had six or seven hours together in the Florida sunshine. And over the course of six or seven hours, I, I heard the story of her life. I don't know how much painting we did or how good it was, probably not very good. Uh, but Shea Green and I had the best conversation that I have ever had. Uh, I realized that she was uh, a remarkable person and that she was going to uh, make it out of the miserable circumstances into which she was born. She had all of the gifts and, and all of the skills that she needed to, to make it in life. Uh, but for one thing, she had no father. I mean, he was uh, locked up and, and he was not getting out uh, anytime soon and. And, and, and so we talked about that for a long time. And I said, at some point in the conversation, uh, wh- wh- "Where are you thinking about church?" And wh- what are you thinking about youth group and all the stuff that you're hearing? It, 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 does any of that make any sense to you?" And, and she said, and, and these are uh, words that keep me going on difficult days." She said, uh, I, "I now know that I have a father." in heaven, and he has never let me down. In fact, he makes it possible for me to love my father here. Shay Green uh, did not come to church as an investigator uh, with an analytical mind. She came to church as one in need. And she listened with a hopefulness that her life might be changed. And it was. So I, I don't know if you consider yourself uh, an investigator or uh, if you are more like Shea Green. Right? But whoever you are, I want to say to you that there is one among us today whom you do not know. And I am not worthy to bend down and untie his shoelaces. But over the course of my life, I have come to know him. And more than anything, I would like you to know him as well. What a wonderful Christmas present that would be. Amen. Will you pray with me? Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks that you have introduced your son to us and that you have given us the opportunity to know him and to hear him and to be changed by him. We pray that in this season of the year when we encounter him anew and we see him as a baby in a manger, that we will see him for the way he came among us, as a humble person you know, who looked like us. And we pray that in this encounter we too we'll find ourselves changed we pray this
0: in Christ's name